Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghost of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 136 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 62 of A Clash of Kings, that's Sansa 7. Did I shout my name there? felt like I shouted, I'm McKelly. You uh, always do. I do, I, I do. Um, and so as always, we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes that will provide some additional information about the characters and other items of note in this chapter. How are you, sir? I am doing just fine. Before we get started, can I just break some news to you and our listeners? Molly got her uh, logs test back. uh, You might recall from last week, Simon had spent hours with Molly practicing mathematical logs, which I don't even know what that is, but luckily you do. And apparently she does too, because she got an A on the test. So congratulations, you two. You make quite the team. That is very good news. I'm glad. I I have I never had any doubt she had it. She just had it all down. She just needed a little bit of practice. It was easy peasy. Yep. Whew, uh, that's good. Right. That's that is a that is a Philip because I am I'm in a bit of a bad mood. You you know I know that some of our listeners don't care about sports. So I won't spend too much time, but I I love Oldham Athletic a lot. I, I yes you do. Yes you do. Cheer for them. And they are going through a season which is, I mean, we're just, we are circling the drain. I mean, uh-huh. we are in real trouble of falling into utter oblivion. And we've lost six games in a row Oof. To, to compound how bad the season is going. And in those six games, in four of the six games, we have conceded a goal in the 94th minute or later. Out of 90. So you're not supposed <laughs> right. to be playing at the 94 yes. minute mark. Game should be four over by the then. <laughs> right. And three of the six, it was the winning goal. Three of the six. So basically, you watch Oldham games, and as the time elapses, you get more and more concerned. Right. And then the other team scores right at the death and breaks your heart Ah. and smashes it under their foot like the hound would. (laughs) While you watch. Yes. It's reached, I mean, it has reached proportions. I, I can't describe how hard it is now to watch. I mean, like... And it's just heartbreaking because you can see it coming and we lose every game. You, just, and... you know it's coming. Oh. Ugh, that's rough. I feel for you. I feel for Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, the thing is, it can't happen to you because, you know, the Steelers, what's the worst case scenario for the Steelers? An 0-16 season and you get the first round draft pick next time, you know? You get to get better. Yes, that's a good point. That That's not the case in uh, mm-hmm. Premier or in uh, English soccer in general. Yeah. You right. can keep falling and never come back. Yeah, you know, when your team slid out of the division that they were in for so long, I thought for sure they were going to bounce right back and be right back up in it. Michele, you've got to be careful listening and believing to all the things I say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're abysmal. You'd abysmal. think I would have learned that over all the years. <laughs> you, you know, uh, remember last week you were talking about how you had a flat tire and you uh, were... I did have a flat tire. And it was hard to get the... Yes. Wouldn't you know, but Ethan had a flat tire just yesterday. And? I And he changed it. Uh, so we have AAA, which I don't know um, I don't know if everyone knows what AAA is, but it's a, a service when your car breaks down, you could call them. And so, uh, you know, he doesn't live at home. He lives in an apartment um, just off of campus of the college he goes to. And uh, he called me and said, I have a flat tire. And I said, well, just call AAA. They'll come fix it for you. And uh, he he was just mentioned to his friends, I'm going to call AAA for them to come fix my tire. And they started getting on him about being a wimp. Oh, call AAA. Go change your own tire. So he watched two YouTube videos, read the uh, 
pertinent information out of the instruction manual and went down and changed his own tire. So I, I was quite proud. He was quite proud of himself. I'll tell you that much. I imagine he would be. That's a rite of passage right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. But the, I, uh, <laughs> I still haven't managed it. Remember, I had to get my son to help <laughs> right. me and we could not get this thing out. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm imagining some truck driving around with a, like a, box of uh, screws and nails on the back of the bed and they're just flying off everywhere they must be i mean they they must work for the tire people i guess <laughs> anyway i just thought it was quite uh, a coincidence that you just had a flat tire and now ethan just had a flat tire oh and you know we went to go get those that tire patched and um they managed to sell me on a, a whole new set of tires <laughs> so we went out of there. That's always what could have been like a twenty-some dollar patch turned into like a six hundred dollar investment in tires on his elderly yeah. vehicle. So yeah. that's that's the, the big fear, of course. Yep. Let's get down to business. Yeah, I think we should get down to business. We got a lot to talk about with Sansa and the Hound. How did we leave Sansa Stark? Last time we saw Sansa, which was only two chapters ago, she keeps coming thick and fast. She was hunkering down with the other highborn ladies in Mago's Holdfast. She was getting an education from an increasingly drunk Queen Cersei on ruling a kingdom and about the different treatment of men and women in their society. Finally, she learned that if the Lannisters should lose, she too will lose her head. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? All right. Sir Lancel Lannister delivers the news to Queen Cersei and Sansa. The battle is lost in large part due to Cersei's insistence that Joffrey be bought, brought back into the castle when the Mudgate was under attack. That move sparked a mass exodus of Goldcloaks from their duties, the men throwing down their weapons and fleeing after seeing the king run away to hide. Not only is the Mudgate under attack still, but the king's gate is once again being rammed, and there are mobs fighting to get out of the city at several other gates. Lancel also informs them that Tyrion is likely dead, news that elicits little reaction from the Queen. Osney Kettleblack adds that there's now fighting on both sides of the river, many thinking that Stannis's men might be fighting each other. Cersei's only concern is for her son. King Joffrey is commanding the crossbowmen at the Red Keep's gatehouse. Cersei insists he be brought inside Mago's Holdfast for safekeeping. Lancel won't hear of it. The move's pointless. If the castle falls, Joff is dead regardless. Pulling him from the gatehouse will only cause more gold cloaks to lose faith. He begs the queen to let Joff stay where he is. Lancel himself will watch over him. Cersei isn't swayed. She wants the king brought in now. She slams her hand into Lancel's wound and storms out of the ballroom. The move sets off a panic in the ballroom. Some begin to wail while others demand answers. Sansa does her best to reassure them that all is fine. She tends to Lancel, whose nasty wound has been reopened by the Queen's wrath and right hook, and sends him for medical help. Sodontus approaches and suggests Sansa go back to her bedchamber. She'll be safer there. He'll come and get her when things have calmed down. Through the window of her bedchamber, she can see the green and orange lights in the night sky. She will sleep. When she wakes, her fate will be what it will be. However, she's not alone in her room. Strong hands grab her wrist and mouth. The hound is drunk and has been waiting for her. He says he's lost everything and he's leaving. Somewhere north. He tells her he could protect her so that nobody would ever hurt her again. When she can't hold his gaze, he says he's come for the song she promised him, Florian and Jonquil. Throwing her on the bed and putting his dagger to her throat, he tells her to sing for her little life. All songs fled from her mind in her panic, but one returns. It's not the one he requested, but she sings it anyway. When she's done, she cups his face in her hand. She feels the sticky blood, but also a different wetness. With that, Sandor rips off his white cloak and leaves. Sansa huddles under his cloak and sleeps. She's woken by bells. All throughout the city, bells ring. Not a sad tune like when King Robert died, but a happy one. Sardantus arrives with the good news. The battle is over. Stannis has been defeated. Dead or fled, he doesn't know or care. The Tyrells and Lannister forces combined to put an end to Stannis's threat. Tywin led the forces on the northern bank. Mace Tyrell and Randall Tarly led those on the south bank. But guess who led the vanguard, he asks. Sansa takes a flyer on her brother Rob, but the answer is even less likely. Renly 
Lord Renly himself, in his signature green armour with golden antlers, led the van. Hmm. So that doesn't seem right because Renly's dead. Yeah, I mean, I'm not forgetting this, right? Renly's definitely dead. We, we, <laughs> That's what okay. Kat saw. Kat saw right, him okay, die. Okay. So okay, good. Yes, I would say you know Rob, me with my memory. It could be just be like <laughs> maybe I just forgot. You know. Uh, yeah, no, no. If your if uh, if your memory's wrong, so is mine. Because pretty sure we saw him die. But uh, you never know. I guess. Hey, if Beric Dondarrion can keep being thought dead and then coming back to That's life. That's true. Who knows? Why That's not true. Renly? To be fair, we have not yet had an eyewitness to one of uh, Beric Dondarrion's right. many deaths. So. That is a difference. That is, yes. <laughs> yeah, it does seem uh, her guess of Rob made me smile. <laughs> yes. Of all the people who would not be there to right. fight Stannis, Rob would be top of that list. Only slightly less likely than Renly. But well, yes, true. But but I will say that Sedontis's like reaction led her to the false conclusion because he was happy and excited. Right. What possibly happy and exciting can there be about Tywin Lannister arriving? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> L- Lancel that Lancel announces that Cersei's brother has been killed and Mandon Moore of the King's Guard is missing. So he's aware of this, right? He's he's and. He's aware that uh, that they were on the ship, the ship bridge, because he says right. likely on, they were on the ship bridge when it broke up. So I was just, I was just wondering if should we consider adding Lancel to the as a candidate for the force behind the attempt on Tyrion's life by Sir Mandamore. What's funny is that I never thought of it until you said that you know he's he announced this. Therefore, he knows it. Therefore, he's aware of it. And then I was like, wait a minute. He hated Tyrion too. Exactly. He had it in for Tyrion. Yeah. And would have had access to Mandon Moore. Right. But weirdly, now, if you asked him now, would he like to murder Tyrion? He'd be like, well, no, actually. I think it's Cersei I would like to murder. (laughs) It's the other sibling that needs to go. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, he was being blackmailed by Tyrion. And this would be a good opportunity to get out of that uh, blackmail. So, and and then it got me thinking about Littlefinger and Varys and Pycelle, some of the other lesser likely names that we threw out last week about who possibly was the force behind Mandon's, uh, Sir Mandon's attempt. And I was thinking maybe one of them has dirt on Mandon. We had talked about how financial bribes with, you know, golden dragons or however else you might, uh, tempt someone financially wouldn't work because he's a member of the king's guard but what if they know that he's doing something disgraceful like you know having relations with someone which is supposed to be off limits as a member of the king's guard so yeah. my issue with that is that i can't imagine mandon more caring i mean if he is let's say it's that he's got a lover somewhere he can't be the first king's guard to have that he it can't not. be that disgraceful you know, and and he doesn't care. I mean, Mandon Moore is the one person here who comes across as just not caring what people think of him. You know, and that so is true. The, the thought of public disgrace, I just don't see how you leverage that. The yeah. easier way to get Mandon Moore to kill Tyrion Lannister is to ask him. <laughs> Simply ask him to do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Little fella, yeah, got it. Yeah, go. <laughs> if if you don't mind, I'll do it during this battle, not just right now. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever's good for you. I'll, I'll literally kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I just don't think you need to strong arm Landon Moore to do this. I just think he's the kind of person who would be like, "Is that an order? Okay." A dead-eyed killer. Consider it done. Yeah. So, um, Cersei pulls another Cersei when she calls for Mago's uh, Holdfast to be isolated from the rest of the Red Keep because yep. she's just given permission to several of the highborn women to leave Mago's Holdfast to go pray in the Sept. Yep. So, basically, she's just signing their death warrant. I mean, assuming her reading of the situation is correct, which, you know, her reading of the situation is... The castle is falling. The city has fallen. The castle will fall. Only Mega's Holdfast will survive here. Right. And that was... She's abandoning them to their fate. If you remember, it was my pedantry from last week. Why would these women leave Megor's Holdfast when they're here to ride out the war? 
of the battle. The one thing I'll say, you were right about that, to to be pedantic about that, but Cersei could send a runner to say, yes. all right, everyone back inside. <laughs> You've got 15 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. Before just barring the door. Look, I want to first of all I want to bar the door, then I want to send a runner. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking maybe they just didn't know Cersei well enough to foresee this result, which we of course, knowing Cersei as we do, would have yeah. seen this one coming. <laughs> yeah. But but I mean again, let's let's give Cersei some credit. She clearly loves her children and her care for Joffrey, unfortunately now for her, is actively hampering the defense of the city. Lancel ah, yes. is making some Lancel, who by the way goes up in my estimation during this chapter, is making some very good point. He, Joffrey's dead if they lose this fight. If they lose the fight, Joffrey's dead. And every time he takes a backward step, more gold cloaks and uh, civilian fighters drop their weapons and change sides. You know? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. What he said was true and seems rather obvious. If if you pull him off of the Red Keep uh, gate back into Magor's Holdfast, then that's where the, the next line is going to be, at Magor's Holdfast right. uh, <laughs> um, yeah. drawbridge. So, uh, But, you know, I find it a little bit ironic that, that Cersei, who last chapter spent all that time talking about how much better she is than the other frightened hens in the room, is acting a bit like a frightened hen when it comes to Joff, not being, not not able to be brave and understand that, yes, I need to let my son be in a somewhat little yeah. bit dangerous situation here, and yeah. uh, you know I can't I can't be I can't let fear get the better of me. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, it's much easier to disparage other people's love for their children than one's own. <laughs> True. But, but I will say, in, in her defense here, there is a sort of, before the battle started, Tyrion said it would be good for the morale of the troops to see him leading the battle. If I were Cersei, I'd be like, I'm calling BS on that. He needs to be safe here with me. But now, because of the way the battle is unfolding... I would say that Lancel is being genuinely honest. This is causing a distinct problem. Every time he disappears from where he's fighting, it causes a problem. And so they need to... And, and so the problem is for Cersei is that she's not seeing it firsthand. She's getting these secondhand reports from people, all of whom she sees as being in that same boat of, oh, the king needs to lead the battle. But she's like, it's just not true. Right. You could fight this battle without him. It's just she happens to be wrong in this case because of the way. What they need to do is dress a few people up like him and have them out there, you know. Sort of. <laughs> well, or come up with a diversion. Say, "Kay, uh, your grace, there is um, trouble at this other gate." Right. You must. Right. 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 We need you. And uh, yes, I'll fight there. You stay here and fight, right. guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, then, and then sneak him off to Megor's Holdfast. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I, I thought it was a little bit. Um, a little bit of a surprising outburst from Lancel because, you know, to this point, he's been both Cersei and Tyrion's pawn or lackey or, uh, you know, whatever. Now, now, of course, his life is on the line here. You know, if they get to yes. into Magor's Holdfast, he's going to die along with the other Lannisters. But we've, we've just seen him do some some things without even thinking about it, like, you know, setting the king on the path of death by the queen's order and, you know, being Cersei's bed warmer while uh, Jamie's gone and spying for Tyrion. And, you know, none of those situations did he stop to think critically about what was asked of him and how he was being used. But, you know, now he's finally got up the gumption to, uh, to call out Cersei. And uh, unfortunately she literally 
knocks him back down quite easily. Yes, I, I will say, I think this goes to the fact that he is sporting a an almost life-threatening wound. Right. If you get stabbed in the side by someone, it perhaps makes all of the sort of political calculations and machinations you're involved in seem less important. And sort of that's maybe true. it's more, yes, we better win point. this battle. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of the whole Mike Tyson thing. The, uh, <laughs> everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> you know, the the thing about this whole argument about, uh, you know, wherever Joffrey is pulled from, things collapse around him reminded me a little bit of the the power riddle from Varys that that he gave to Tyrion about which person really holds the power the king the rich person or the septon or whoever it was and you know ultimately the answer is the power is where the people decide the power is and if they decide Mm -hmm. Joffrey doesn't have the power anymore and they're throwing down their weapons and no longer listening to his commands well he really doesn't have any power anymore wasn't there a fourth character in the riddle? It was a, a, a knight or a soldier of some sort was the fourth oh, character in the riddle, wasn't it? Might have been, and, yeah. and each of them commanded him to pick up the sword. Yes, that's what it was. Him. Yes, so, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So so that's kind of where the, the power is in the people's hands. It's where they choose to allot it. I mean, the one actually swinging the sword is the people. Right. <laughs> but the other three are the ones giving the commands. Yes, so. that's the personification of the people there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, had the battle not ended the way it did, it does seem that Cersei's actions would have cost them the throne here. Uh, uh yeah. And so, or you at know, least, at about least that. had them retreat to Magos. I mean, to Magos Holdfast, which may, they may have been able to hold out until the Tyrells and Tywin arrived, I guess. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's her, that was her plan. Cersei's plan last Sansa chapter was to, if everything else falls, to try and hold out until she can either... Well, as she thought, she was going to turn herself over to uh, Stannis or have herself beheaded. She was very uh, vague about which yeah. of those she was going the, to do. The key flaw in that plan for me is is thinking about it. Let's as, let's assume the Tyrells and Tywin are two days away. So the city falls and then Stannis has got two days to convince the citizens of King's Landing, A, of the legitimacy of his claim and B, of how good of a king he would make. Right. Then when the Ty when the when Tywin and the Tyrells arrive, they might be met by overwhelming force against them, you know, sort of all the gold cloaks and all of Stannis's forces in a defensive position, you know. Yeah, if they could get into the city and close the gates behind them, you know, yeah, they might right. be in a a better position. But right. did not work out that way, I guess. No. Um so they see fighting on both sides of the river as Ty as Tyrion did last time, um, Osney Kettleblack thinks it might be Stannis' lords fighting each other, which, uh, I mean, there's a lot of strife in Stannis' camp. We know that for a fact. Right. You know, that yeah, mixed there groups there. Were, yeah, some who were Renly loyalists, some who were always Stannis loyalists. Yeah, it's certainly an option we didn't consider last chapter when we were considering who might be fighting on the south bank of the uh, yeah, Blackwater Rush. Yeah, true. And given that Peter Baelish is somewhere out in the wind, then that, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> stirring up trouble like that is his forte. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, we should have thought about that. <laughs> so Cersei storms out, sort of leaving a, a lot of confusion in her wake. The women are like, Why, where's she going? You know, what's, right. is, are we losing the battle? And Sansa kind of takes the lead. She sort of like calms everyone down and tells them not to worry and that... Uh, the battle's going as well as it could be sort of thing. And right. she basically gets them back down on an even keel, which is good. I mean, she's only 12-year-old girl, right? I mean, right. She's, she's, doing, she's, she's rising to the occasion here. Yeah, I felt like she showed more uh, regal leadership here in that scene than Cersei has basically since our story started. She, she was pretty much the anti-Cersei. She was soothing the worried and tending to the sick, even if it was an enemy, Lancel, all the while worrying about her own life, uh, but not letting that show. She was putting out a, you know, a positive, upbeat, strong face for the people around her. Yes, she certainly was the anti-Cersei when it came to tending the sick, because she was tending Lancel, whereas Cersei was slapping him in the wound. (laughs) So... (laughs) That was definitely, definitely anti-Cersei there. Yeah. 
But she, so after she does all this, she thinks to herself that she's soft and weak and stupid and uh, because she was helping Lancel when, you know, he's an enemy, she should be letting him die. But really what she's doing is she thinks that she's soft, weak, and stupid, just like Joffrey and Cersei say I am. But what she's doing here is comparing herself to the twisted ideal that Cersei and Joff have about what being a royal leader is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very true. I mean, yeah, she is nothing like that, but that is not what real leadership is. Right, exactly. If she if she wants a role model for that, she could think of her own father. You know, right. He, he, he would be telling everyone to stay calm, that things are going to work out. Yes, exactly. Well, actually... He'd she, be fighting at the vanguard. The he vanguard. probably would. But if he were stuck in this ballroom, for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he, she she would be doing what a true leader does. Lying. Or, I mean, <laughs> keeping everyone calm, <laughs> staying positive. <laughs> Lying appropriately, yes. not gratuitously. Yes. <laughs> so, knowing how the battle was going to end, because I did know. I <laughs> yes. knew how the battle was going to end. Good job, good job. <laughs> I was really rooting for Sansa to go with the Hound. I, 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 you know, because she had an opportunity here to flee King's Landing. And I think mostly she didn't go because she could not face running away with the Hound. Right. Yes. But there was also the bit of her thinking, Stannis is going to win this battle and I have a very good chance of getting my freedom. True. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the time she was talking to the Hound... The battle was, all the news from the battle was, it's going to be Stannis. She was also concerned that Sir Ilian was going to off her head. So, you know, there was that other force there as well. That's true, but that that might have driven her to go with the Hound. Right. But, yeah. But but this goes to, I'm going to bring this up in pedantry, but Sir Ilian isn't exactly tracking her. She walked back from the ballroom <laughs> right. to her room. She could hide anywhere in the Red Keep. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I mean, she's she's young. She's a child. You know, maybe she's just more fearful of the idea that he is going to find her wherever she is. Because she thinks to herself early in the chapter, she can't see Sir Ilian, but she can feel him. She knows he's close. You know, that could yeah. just be paranoia setting in there, I guess. But when, yeah. So when she gets back to her chambers, that's, this is when Sir Dantas says, go back to chambers wait for me, wait there where it's safe, I'll come get you when it when everything's all over. She gets back to her room and, you know, she's looking out the window and that's when she kind of backs in almost uh, to the hound and he says, little bird, I knew you'd come. And I was like, well, it is her room. <laughs> so it doesn't take the power of her lore to see that in the flames that she was going to come to her own bedchamber at some point <laughs> i sent a shadow demon they said wait here <laughs> right <laughs> but so that uh, he says to her uh you know don't you want to know how the war is going and she or who's winning the war and she says who and he says i don't know i only know what i've lost and sansa says what's that and the hound says all i've lost it all and you know i took that to mean that he's lost his res- the respect of the men because he was too afraid to go back out into the fray. And so he no longer thinks of himself as the strong, tough man that he thought he was. And um, it's either that or maybe the fire made him realize that he's done with fighting and no longer wants to be part of any of it. But uh, I thought him losing all meant he was lost face. He's no longer who he thought he was. Yeah, but I think I think you're giving him too much um, self reflection there. I think it's 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 not that he changed who he thought he was. I think he always knew that deep down he was very afraid of fire and did not want to be involved with anything that could get him burned. And I think, but I think the problem is not so much that he's lost face; it's that he can't terrorize people anymore because the people he needs to terrorize need to be terrified of him, and people who saw him will no longer be terrified of him. Oh well, yeah, yeah. It's it's somewhere some way along the same line of what I'm getting at. Yes, but I think you're you're sort of like hanging it on sort of self reflection about True. I'm not the man I thought I was. Right. 
The problem is, is he's not the man that everybody else thought. Yes. That's what's different (laughs) for him now. Yes, that's true. That's true. You know, speaking of, you were just talking a minute ago about um, whether the Sansa should have left with the Hound or not. I, I was going back and forth about that same idea. And because you're right, at that at this point in the story, she thinks the war is lost and she expects to be killed by Sir Ilian Payne. So right. the question is, could would she be safer with the hound or taking her chances with evading Sir Ilian Payne? Now he he does put a blade to her throat uh again in this chapter, which makes two times it's the that he's hound. done. That. He does that. But on the other side, he's also very protective of her. Right, right. But but here's what it boiled down to for me. I can't say with certainty one way or the other whether he would force himself upon her. I don't personally think that he would, but I can't say for certain that that's not a danger. You see, you're you're absolutely right. That is one thing that definitely sort of hangs over this because he is – Feelings towards her are strong. They are definitely partly paternal, but they're definitely partly not paternal. Right. Yeah. And is he, I mean, he's obviously a monstrous human being. Is he monstrous enough to act on that second part of that? Yeah, definitely possible. And so maybe the answer to the question is no. But if you want to get north and you want to get north in a quiet and smaller group as possible. There is nobody better on the planet than the Hound to do that. Yeah. Because people won't mess with him, and he could protect you all the way north. And so that's the that's the the difficult sort of balance for her is that he really could get me through all of this. You know, this this two months of travel would be hard, but there's nobody else. I would not hit the road with Sodontas at this point. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> you, him, you him and his flabby arms. <laughs> yeah, you would be safe in your sleep, but that's the only time you'd be safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, speaking of if you want to get back north, that's what the hound says. He says, she yeah. says, where are you going to go? And he says, I'll go north somewhere, anywhere. And then he says, I could keep you safe. So that no one will hurt you ever again. And the more this the conversation between the two of them goes on, the more it starts to feel like he's doing the most terrible job in the world of trying to propose to her that she leave with him and he will keep her safe until he can reunite her with her brother or her mom and that he possibly even take up arms for Rob or maybe be Sansa's personal protector. I think that's possibly what he's trying to convey. Just he doesn't know how to say these things. In almost any other context, the words... I could keep you safe, no one would hurt you again, is literally a proposal of marriage. Right. But because of who it is, it's like you're hearing it through all of the noise of his being the hound. Right. And it's like, well, what is he offering exactly? So, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. There's there's definitely an attempt at a profession of some kind of love here. Right. But yes. But he just it's, it's, doesn't it's know how to because it doesn't, yeah. It does not come across, you know, it doesn't right. come across. But you can you pick notice, it apart, but a 12-year-old girl couldn't pick it apart. Especially a terrified 12-year-old girl who has a right. knife to her throat. Right. So. And, and a 280-pound guy in her room wielding said knife. Yes, it, who is also quite drunk. Covered in blood. Covered in blood, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you notice he never says, come with me. He only says, I'm going north and I could keep you safe so that no one would ever hurt you again. There is an implication there. Come yeah. with me. But he never – He, I think he would be putting himself in too vulnerable of a position to ask, will you come with me? Yeah. As usual, she can't hold his gaze and so he throws her on the bed and puts the dagger to his throat, as we said. She then sings him a song, which we've been challenged to sing – 
But we have. I, I'm, I'm imagining we're going to duck that particular challenge. <laughs> Are we? I brought my book in case you wanted to go through with it. <laughs> We've been offered cups of Arbor Gold if we do it. <laughs> <laughs> but but she she then, after she finishes singing, she sweetly cups his face, presumably her little hand on his giant face. Right. Um, and she feels sort of blood and the tears on his face for having been sung to by her. Right. Um, yeah, she definitely can soothe the beast with song. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's. I felt like it was the same instinct that kicked in earlier in the ballroom. This ability to to calm and you know she soothed him with song like Beauty and the Beast. Because if the opposite had happened, if she had struggled and fought and screamed out, which you certainly couldn't blame her for, it might have sent him over the edge, and he might have ended up, you know, doing something that uh, would be harmful to her yeah we'll be right back this episode is sponsored by audible to get a free audiobook or two if you're an amazon prime member go to our exclusive url audibletrial.com slash ghosts you can find the link in our show notes yep but yeah she she seems to have an intuition for how to handle this kind of person, which is weird because she always gives sass to Joffrey Baratheon first of his name. <laughs> <laughs> she should perhaps try singing to him. Too. Maybe. <laughs> so I the think... Hound is is rebuffed, or at least hears a rebuff. I mean, she just doesn't agree to go with him. So he rips off his white cloak and leaves it on the floor. And that's obviously the final sundering of him from the Lannisters and from Joffrey. Um, interestingly, she picks up the white cloak and wraps herself in it. And it yeah. must be pretty stinky, you'd imagine, with the fire and the blood and everything and, and the sweat. Right. But she obviously, she feels some comfort in mm-hmm. the thought, in thoughts of the Hound too. Yes. It, it certainly, it's, certainly, I got out of it that she has complicated feelings about the hound as he has complicated feelings. Maybe not romantic feelings like he has we we think he has for her, but he sometimes he's the best protection that she's had since she's been yeah. since, since her father died basically. And we've seen glimpses of a softer more caring side. He rode into that riot to save her. He hesitated when Joff the king commanded him to hit her. And he said enough when she was being beaten by Sir Boris in front of everyone that uh, that time. But then on the flip side, he's threatened to kill her, by my estimation, I think three times, uh, including the one in this chapter when he says, scream and I'll kill you. You can believe that. He's yeah. now put a blade to her throat twice. He's come into her room and acted in a violent manner. But she curls up under his cloak once again, seeking protection from him from yeah. things that will do her harm. So, yeah, complicated. Yep. But it I wondered is. I wondered if the leaving of the white cloak was was either a token of his feelings about her. Was there a symbolism there? The white cloak supposedly meaning purity and honor? Or was he just discarding it and there was no symbol? Well. Yeah, I mean, you could read that into it. I I just assumed he was dispatching with his pretensions of being a king's guard. You know, I think. Yeah, except for that, he's. She said to him, "You're never going to get out of the city," and he said, "I've got this white cloak." Um, oh. I, but then he left the white cloak. So <laughs> he did say, "And I'll kill anyone who yes. gets in my way, unless so. they're on fire." <laughs> unless they're on fire. Yes. Yeah. So um. So then. She takes a nap and then Sedontus wakes her with the news of the battle. So most of the rest of the chapter is the news of the battle. But let's just interject here with what an idiot Sedontus is. Because <laughs> he comes in there dancing and cheering to the point where she thinks that her brother might have arrived. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because Tywin Lannister has arrived to save Joffrey. It's like, dude, that isn't good news. No. That is not the good news. In what way should we be excited about that? Right. <laughs> Stannis Baratheon has taken the throne and killed Sir Ilin Payne and he said he's going to send you north that's, that's yes dance around with your flabby arms for that for sure uh, I, I mean, also their enemies are the Lannisters and he's cheering their victories yes yeah. crazy uh, I, I, I wonder 
I wonder if he was actually ever in any danger regardless of who wins. I mean, he's now a fool. They're not people are not known to come into power and then have all the fools killed. You know, you can you can have more than one fool. Yeah, but Patchface is a vengeful little monster. He is. He might not want to share the the limelight. (laughs) I was actually thinking when Sardantos said, go to your chamber, I'll come get you when it's safe, and then follows through and comes and gets her, that feels rather dangerous in its own right. Like, how do you, how do you, what's your cover story for why the fool is, is coming to Sansa to uh, tell her the good news? They're not supposed to have any, uh, you know, connection with one another. So, uh, uh, yes, uh, yes, well done. That's a good point. Uh, they, they are very poor at keeping their relationship secret. Terrible at it. Just terrible. Yeah. But, however, I will say that Sedantus does keep up the front of being an absolute idiot all the time. <laughs> he does. So, <laughs> yeah. That, that she, would she, disarm the spies, I feel. Yes. Cersei and Joff might think they have befriended one another. I can't imagine they think that he's going to hatch a master plan to break her out of here and get her back home. <laughs> uh, so, Tyrion was right. There was fighting on both sides of the river. The Marbrons. And the Rowans, who we talked about several times being seen north of the Mander. Right. Well, now we know why. They were making peace with uh, Tywin's army and making a plan for uh, relieving King's Landing. Yep. And and he follows that up by saying that Stannis was neck deep in the river when they attacked him. And I'm wondering if they were intentionally waiting for Stannis's force to be split across the river before you know launching their attack you'd think that might make life easier to defeat him if your forces are split like that and we were actually concerned previously about the fact that stannis has kind of cornered himself a bit by putting all his forces up against this river that he would be vulnerable from attack from the south and of course the lannisters have Poor Edmure's uh, success in the the Battle of the Fords um, to thank uh, for Tywin's help here. Because uh, Tywin was trying to get back to the West until Edmure continued to throw him back from crossing uh, the Red Fork until Tywin changed course and headed southeast. So had he managed to get across... He would probably be in the West and nowhere near around to help. True. Very true. Do you, do you think, I I always thought that when we, I mean, again, it really helps to be rereading this, you know, even with my patchy memory, because as I read (laughs) the battle of the Fords, I was thinking to myself, I know where Tywin's headed. I know where Tywin is really headed. Now the question as, as I read it was, is he already heading there? And this is all just a front, just a show. Or is he genuinely trying to get back to Castle Rock and he's only going to change his plans if he can't? Because as I read it this time, I thought to myself, because do you remember that Brienne said that we felt his fingers, now we'll feel his fist. Right. But the fist never seemed to really come. There were some big battles, but they weren't that big. It felt like if Tywin really wanted to, he could have got across those forwards if he sent all of his forces at them. Yeah, that, and that's I always a possibility. If they were just trying to keep up the pretense that that's where they were headed, all the while they were headed to King's Landing because King's Landing was the vulnerable point for them. They'd already lost the big cities of the West, you know. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Or, or some of them. They haven't lost the big cities of the West, right? Lannisport, uh, Castle right. Rock is still there. But uh, Rob is wreaking havoc in the West, yeah, so, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's a solid point. I mean, with the information that we have at this point in the story, that is certainly a possibility. Yeah. But so, uh, Dantas gives Sansa a bit of a breakdown on how the, the battle went. So, uh, Tywin Lannister led the force on the North shore of the river and Randall Tarley and Mace Tyrell led the forces on the South side of the river. And, uh, then he says, and guess who led the vanguard? <laughs> and she says, Rob? <laughs> oh, you know. 
It's uh, be nice to wish. Yeah. You, you could always wish that it had been wrong. Yes, yes, that would have been nice, but no, no. He he may eventually fight Stannis Baratheon, but he has to get rid of the Lannisters first. Right. Yeah, it was even a, a more unlikely source, and that was Renly. I, I think, as far as unlikeliness would go, go uh, Re- Ned, Renly, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two of the three we're pretty sure is are dead, and uh, <sighs> Rob seems very unlikely. I'm trying to think of anyone, Varys. Varys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's a good point. Uh, but, so, so, yeah, could, can it be true? Right. Can it be? I mean, we, we saw him die through Kat's POV, and no, but nobody could produce a body, and that's what Sir Courtney Penrose's holdup was with Storm's End, is he wanted to see Renly's body, and nobody could produce it. So I guess that leaves a little bit of a window open. Yeah. But let's but say, let's like say it, that it is true, and Ren, it, Renly didn't it, die or was he, brought back to life. Didn't he die bleeding in Brienne's arms, though? I mean, he was. Yes. It wasn't like it wasn't like his spirit left him to have a fight with Stannis' spirit. It was like he was he, gushing blood. He was gushing blood. Yes, very much. Right, okay. It, it seems very hard to imagine that he survived that. But right. <laughs> I guess Cat and Brienne did leave before the body was cold. So maybe they patched him back together. Maybe. Uh, one of the maesters is uh, really gifted. So let's yeah. say he was brought back to life or didn't die. I'm not quite sure how that's a good thing for the Lannisters. Unless he's agreed not to fight for the throne and rather than side with his brother in the fight for the throne, has backed the Lannisters and the Tyrells. Ah, uh, you see, see, now you've explained it to me. They've dressed somebody up in his armor. They've dressed somebody up in his armor. To try and sow dissension in the ranks of Stannis' army. That's all it is. That's very possible. They they would have access to his armor, you would imagine. Yeah. They would just need someone and, and, who could fit it. And then as a tactic, that does make good sense. Because if he rides in and says, Renly, then some of Stannis' troops would be like, wait, no. Wait. I thought, that... I thought he was dead. Wait, we're fighting yeah. for the wrong side. Right. Yeah. So. That certainly... Is sounds more plausible than him coming back to life, but hey, it certainly does. There are dragons, right? <laughs> and others, and the dragons made the wildfire more potent. Yeah. Who knows what a the traveling necromancer might be able to get up to these days? That's a good point. Good point. Uh, but so, uh, Dantas mentions a whole bunch of um houses that were involved in this battle here, and one of them he mentions are the red wines. Uh, and the Red Wines are in this fight now, unlike before, because they weren't able to fight on uh, Renly's behalf because the Lannisters had uh, Horace and Hobber Red Wine hostage. So they, yeah. had to, they had to stay out. But now that the Reach is on the side of the Lannisters, the Red Wines can actually take part in this yeah. battle here. And as memory serves, poorly as we know, <laughs> uh, the red wines have specific reason to not want Stannis to take the throne, because the red wines were complicit in the uh, siege of Storm's End during Robert's uh, rebellion, and ate heartily in front of him while he was eating his shoes. True, the red wines and the Tyrells both did that, so they both would right. have reason not to want right. to to expect retribution or right. uh, anticipate right. the possibility of it anyway. Yep. <laughs> So Dantas, Dantas says that Stannis' men hardly fought for him, and that's presumably because they were conflicted when they saw Renly, in air quotes. <laughs> in air quotes. Right. Uh, and and you got to wonder, you know, these are men that originally backed a man with no claim, so clearly they don't care a whole lot about who the true king is. Yeah. This seem may possibly either just more excited about being part of Renly's group, or felt like, oh, that's the winning side now. I want to be on that side. So, you know. Yeah. Could be one or but the I mean, other. Still, I still give them a little bit of a pass that certainly Stannis wouldn't have given them, which is that they thought the Lannisters' claims were illegitimate, which they are, and they just wanted to step over Stannis because they just thought he would be a terrible king, whereas they thought Renly would be a good king. 
Yeah. Once Renling was out of the picture, they went to Stannis, you know. I, I'm always kind of forgiving of that. Oh, unless I'm Stannis. Yes, right. So it's also mentioned that Renly kills Sir Guyard Morgan. And um, I was kind of surprised that he didn't go over to the Renly side because he was a member of Renly's Rainbow Guard. So he was Guyard the Green. So I would have thought of all the people that were going to go over, might have been him. But as a member of the Rainbow Guard, he would have known for a fact that Renly was dead. And so he maybe wasn't turned by the presence of this Renly character on the battlefield. Oh, solid point. He would have been on the inside scoop of that. Right, right. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, when people die, generally speaking, we take people's word for it. Right. Yes. So... So uh, go you examine know, the body ourselves. Some know. random hedge knight who's fighting on behalf of Renly might uh, see him and think, "Oh, it was all a rumor. He's really alive." Oh, but if alive. you're someone who's on the, uh, you know, the inside here, you would know. No, I saw him right. dead. He was real dead. Right. Yep. <laughs> and Renly presumably was going, and this is for not looking after me. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So is there any chance that Stannis escapes all this? The majority of his relief force would be on the south side of the river uh, and that rather cuts off his retreat. If he has crossed the river, then there are the Gold Road, the King's Road, the Rosby Road out of King's Landing. But it feels like it's a little bit, there's a sort of like a hammer and anvil thing going on between uh, the the two sets of forces. So... uh, it's hard to know whether Stannis has any hope here. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, Dantis doesn't know. He says he's dead. He's fled. Who cares? No one knows. No one cares. It. So North, if he's on the north side of the river, that's bad. That's where the Lannisters are. If he's on the south side of the river, that's bad. That's where the Tyrells and Redwines and Tarly. So, you know, I'm sure Sam... Tarly is very proud of his father's handiwork here in this mm-hmm. battle. Yeah. Uh, so the only place he could possibly go is east. If he could, you know, if he can get far enough east and catch Saladar Sands. Oh, uh, go by boat. Yeah, yeah, that's possible, I suppose. And but, actually, in the TV show, that's a little bit more plausible because all of the fighting in the TV show, they came by rowboats from the remaining ships. You know? Right, so he so could just sail away if jump while back things were bad. the rowboats, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all this fighting so, was so exciting that even Ser Dantos wishes that he was a knight again. After just last time talking to Sansa, wanting to kiss Joffrey for making him a fool so he doesn't have to fight. Yeah, but but battles always seem good when you win them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when they're going on, you you don't want any part of it. <laughs> anyway, do you have some background for us? I did manage to muster up some background. So it looks like this might be the end of the Battle of the Blackwater. So let's look back at another battle that happened on the Blackwater back in the reign of King Magor the Cruelly Misunderstood. (laughs) This battle was called the Battle at the Great Fork of the Blackwater, and it took place a good bit upriver from King's Landing. Uh, But in fact, I'm not quite sure of the exact location. It happened, as the name of the battle would suggest, on the Great Fork of the Blackwater. And looking at a map, there's two places that fit that description. The first is up near the headwaters, south of the Stony Sept in the Riverlands. And the second is not too far west of King's Landing, where that unnamed river coming from the God's Eye meets with the Blackwater. Now, Wiki of Ice and Fire does have a Great Fork of the Blackfire... uh, a Great Fork of the Blackwater page, but it's blank. So, okay. not getting much help there. <laughs> Let's make our own cannon. <laughs> yes. But since the battle was between Magor's forces and those of the Faith Militant, I'm inclined to think that it was the fork near the Stony Sept. And another reason for that is that 200 uh, warriors' sons from the Stony Sept participated in the battle. Now, of course, they could have traveled to that other fork. It wasn't that far away. So. Anyway, it was one of those two locations would be my guess. But uh, So the battle was between the Faith Militant and King Magor's forces. And as a quick refresher, the uprising of the Faith... Of the fake, The uprising of the Faith Militant began when Magor took a second wife while married to his first still. 
coupled with his brother King Aenys, who was King Aegon I's heir, marrying his son and daughter to each other. Both moves rankled many faithful to the Seven and their views on marriage. And the discord continued to escalate until King Aenys died due to the stress. And when King Maegor won the throne in his trial by combat in 42 AC, he awoke from his coma that he suffered in the trial, took to Balerion, and burned the Sept of Remembrance and all the faith militant inside. So, several battles ensued after that act of aggression, one of which took place at the Great Fork of the Blackwater. The faith militant's forces were made up of about 13,000 poor fellows, those 200 warriors' sons that I mentioned. And so... The faith militant is basically made up of two groups, the poor fellows, or the stars, and the warrior's sons, or the swords, so the faith militant is called the swords and the stars, or stars and the swords, whichever. And also, there was about just under 7,000-ish men from the Riverlands and Westerlands on their side. Magor had about as many men, and he actually had about twice the mounted knights, but he did also happen to have the largest dragon Westeros has ever seen. So, <laughs> would it surprise you to learn that things went Magor's way? No. Nope. Would it surprise you to hear that Balerion did some major damage? Not really. Even though it was raining? Ooh. <laughs> Surprisingly, the rain did little to aid those poor fellows and the warrior's sons. <laughs> So I ask you, was that cruel, really? I mean, yes, obviously, on some levels it was, but <laughs> comparison with the television show, um, I, I think I need to avoid a spoiler here about the Renly thing, so I'm going to just be I'm gonna tiptoe a little bit around that. Okay. Sansa does meet with the Hound in her room and refuses to go with him. There's no singing. Um, when he reveals himself in her room, that he's there. It reminds me of the scene at the end of Alien when Ripley thinks the aliens are all dead and she's sort of getting ready to go into sort of suspended animation and then suddenly behind her the thing moves. Uh -huh. It's very much like that. He's in the background the whole time and then suddenly he moves and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, she's not yeah, alive. a little bit scary. Um, yeah. Uh, he departs. Uh, the battle does indeed hinge on the arrival of, of the combined forces of Tywin and Loras Tyrell, who's kind of like embodies the Tyrells for the sake right. of the TV show. Um, uh, their arrival in on the battle is juxtaposed against Cersei sitting with Tommen, who you remember in the TV show, Tommen's present as well. Okay, right. Fingering a bottle of poison. She's got a bottle of poison in her hand while telling... Tommen, a story of the lion being the greatest, being greater than the wolves and greater than the stags and all this kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and then, so, again, juxtaposing the fighting with the new forces arriving, her in the throne room with the poison, Pod on the battlefield tending to Tyrion. Right. And Stannis being dragged back by his men from the obviously losing you know, the lost cause. Sure. Uh, Cersei is just about to tip the poison down Tommen's neck when the doors of the throne room fly open and her father marches in to announce victory. Okay. I recall this now, yes. That's a good yeah. scene. That's a pretty cool scene. Yeah. Um, pedantry. So I've mentioned it, but I, I think it's a bit inconsistent about Sansa's level of imprisonment here. I mean, she's got the run of... If she can go to her room, she can go anywhere. Right. And unless Cerulean Payne is only charged with beheading her, he can't follow her, you know, so... Yeah, it just good point. Feels like yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a. I know she's not like Arya. She doesn't do a lot of exploration, but it feels like she could probably find a place to hide out until um, you know. If her such life time. depends on it, yeah. right? <laughs> News and notes. News and notes. Okay, so uh, Queen Cersei is taking on a new project. No, she's not pushing legislation for equal rights for women in Westeros. Uh, it's actually Lena Headey, the actor who played the queen in A Game of Thrones, is directing her first feature film. We go with Lena Headey. Is that how you pronounce her name? I like that. I like that. Uh, I'm good with that. All right. Me too. The psychological thriller that she'll be directing is called Violet, and it's based on a novel by Susie Holliday. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Susie Holiday. Yeah. It's the... SJI or her initials. It's SJI Holiday, but, but her name is Susie. Okay. Susie Holiday. Okay. Um, the premise of the story is 
two female travelers who decide to travel together only to discover neither is who they claim to be. And Hedy is quoted as saying that the book stayed with her long after reading it. So hopefully the movie will do the same for us. Um, and it sounds like a book worth considering as well. Or, or the book could, yes, yes. She's um, Susie Holiday. I, I, I looked her up after this. She, she's Scottish. I was, I'm a big fan of all things oh, Scottish. So. Right. Good stuff. So let's draw a line under this one. Um, okay. Is this really the end of the battle? It's kind of, it's ebbed and flowed. It sure um, has. Every you, POV. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah, every time we have a different POV, we get a different sort of take on how the battle is going. Right, yeah. So uh, it looks, from this POV, like the battle is over. I guess we'll have to wait and see whether we get another uh, Davis POV and he they're they're winning again. <laughs> Given the next chapter is a Daenerys chapter, I think we can say <laughs> right. this perhaps yes. is the end. <laughs> But it was oddly perfect timing for reinforcements to arrive. Is that, like I was saying earlier, was that intentional? Were they waiting for Stannis to be in a precarious position being committed on both sides of the river? Or is it just blind luck that all these forces showed up what feels like hours before yeah. Stannis's men took the city and castle? See, the way they, the way that they attacked, the ideal situation would have been to to attack on the city side to try and draw more troops over and then when the troops were depleting on the southern bank to then attack on the southern bank too so that you'd basically have split the forces as evenly as possible so you'd only have to fight half the forces on both sides see what i mean if you ride yeah. into the battle on the on the city side then the people on the other side are like oh we need to get over and help our buddies you know so that right. you know they start to pour over and then you attack them from the city side so from the riverside so then if you Maybe there was that kind of level of coordination, just timing it just so. You know? Right. Yeah, which is odd because it, based on the way the description went, it seems like they might have done it the other way around because Tyrion saw fighting on the southern bank. He didn't see but any of his dad's forces at maybe, that time. Maybe they just arrived and too many forces were going across and they wanted them to turn back, you know. Uh, yeah. So get get in on the on the riverside. Of course... Fundamentally, this all goes down to why did you take so long to get here, Stannis? Uh huh. Uh huh. One day, one day sooner. Right. Uh, yeah. Literally, one day sooner. Yes. And that goes back to. I mean, there's so many things we could go back to. <laughs> I mean, Stannis just camped out in front of Storm's End for weeks on end. Is... That's the one. That's the. That's the. That's the key one for me. The whole Edric Storm thing. It's like, <laughs> what is the point of this? You know. Right. Yeah. Come You've back got your when men. you're king of the Seven Kingdoms and right. say, now will you open the door? Yeah, I was going to say, remember they got into that storm on their way up the uh, narrow sea they from did. Storm's it's End. True. And true. That, that cost them some time. But uh, yeah, any of those. There, there's so many instances yeah. where they could have gotten enough time and they blew it. Yeah. So the Hound was either just drunk and angry or he was trying to express his deep feelings for Sansa. Um, they come across awfully similar, those two things. <laughs> yes, they do. Especially with the Hound. Yeah, yeah, it feels like he was asking her to come with him without actually doing so. My personal thought is he's he's just too fragile to handle the rejection of her actually saying no. Oh, I'll mention, actually, there was one slight difference. I, I noticed it when I was watching this scene. When the Hound is talking to Sansa in her chambers, he actually says Winterfell. He doesn't say, I'm just going north. He oh. actually offers her Winterfell. He says the word Winterfell. Wow. So that's a sl slight difference. And, and that, for me, is kind of like why, you know, I'm sort of like, if I was Sansa, I'd be awfully tempted. Right, because that's a big difference than north. I mean, Rosby is north, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Winterfell is a whole nother level yeah, yeah. of... Uh, yeah, what he's offering own? to take her home at that yes, point. Yes, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Know? And I thought, I, I thought, even though it's just a one-word difference between what he said, I thought, wow, that that's... You're, you, it must be interesting for George Martin, because, you know, he wrote this book and he made conscious decisions. But be, by being involved in the TV show, he had the opportunity to make different decisions, you know, sort of like, what, turns, what would transpire if he adds the word Winterfell to that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's kind of cool way to think about it. I think I also think the other thing though is that they need to bash you over the head because the the show people aren't pouring over the maps. 
you know, right. where they are in the book. Yeah. So if he just says north, you might be like, oh, what's that is mean? It nice, is, it, is it nice this time of year? Yeah. <laughs> With winter coming? Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been trying for a while, like all week, to sum up my thoughts on this hound Sansa thing. And I I think ultimately he seems like a, a man who's possibly in love with this young girl who desperately his whole life has wanted to be loved back, but feels unworthy of love. He went to try, went to her to try and express his feelings, but he has no idea how to express love. So he messed it up terribly. Then he got angry at himself for messing it up terribly. And then he lashed out at her because he got angry at himself because he messed it up terribly. Yeah. I think, I think that's yeah. my, ultimately what I think happened there. But is this a missed opportunity for Sansa? You know, I mean, because because and is she already regretting it? Because again, I I contend she made the decision in light of the fact that she thought Stannis was going to win, and she if she could avoid him in pain, she might be okay. Yeah. But now that Joffrey has won, does she now regret? Because we're like, can I chase the hound down, please? Right. Yes. Exactly. So you know what happens to Sansa now. You know, if the Tyrells are involved, which according to Dantos they are, then is the Joffrey Baratheon Marjorie Tyrell betrothal been accepted? Uh, and if so, yeah. now what happens to Sansa? She becomes what? Just a captive, I guess. Yes, what she always has been, a captive, yeah. Right, yeah. She... And so Dantos, please, God, be hiding your super deep, incredible plan beneath the layers and layers of really stupid because <laughs> <laughs> so far you've got me convinced you're no help at all yeah maybe he just has good intentions but has absolutely no idea how to yeah. execute this plan we better hope whoever his friend is knows what that person oh is yes doing. his friend that's right yes so is stan still alive what now for him is renly alive what now for him right yeah I guess we'll uh, have to wait and find out. We we won't find out next week, though, because we're off to Essos next week. Okay. There are three ways that you could help us. You could go out and leave us a review. There's no better form of advertising. Secondly, you can buy some merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com or you can buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. And big thanks to those who've always be, already become sustainers there. Yes, thank you so very much. And as always, you can reach us at ghost.heronhall at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall or on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and of course, Discord. Okay, and if you stick around until after we say goodbye, uh, we'll sing the songs to you. All right, let's do it. Let's do All right, it. So, uh, thanks after for listening. the music. So hang around till after the music. I'll put it after the music. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, I so this is up. how I this is how I sang it. All right, you ready? Okay, yes. Gentle mother, font of mercy, save our sons from war. We pray, stay the swords and stay the arrows. Let them know a better day. Oh, that's complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of I'm making it up. ups and downs. I'm making it up there. as I go along. This so is how this verse. is how Roy Detrice sang it. Gentle mother, font of mercy, save our sons from war, we pray. Stay the swords and stay the arrows, let them know a better day. It fits, it fits, I'll give it that. <laughs> All right, Ooh, we're sorry. We're sorry to we're sorry to you, Beethoven. <laughs> Is that Beethoven? I don't even know if that's Beethoven. That was Beethoven, yeah, this ode to joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough. I'm stopping recording. All right. <laughs>